You're listening to the Two Bucks Podcast, the podcast for outdoor entrepreneurs. Little by little, I was getting the sense of my time isn't my time. Just kept doing this pull to the outdoors and wanting to do something in the outdoor space. Welcome to the Two Bucks Podcast, the podcast for outdoor entrepreneurs. I'm your host, Brian Krebs, and with me today is Dan Matthews. Dan is an avid outdoorsman, husband, father, host of not one but two podcasts, and a full-time outdoor entrepreneur. Dan, I'm excited to have you here. How have you been, man? Dude, I've been great. Um, I'm super pumped to be on this with you. We've been talking about this podcast for a while. Yeah, probably too long, and that's on me. It's hard to balance um, multiple responsibilities at once and then start something new besides. So I've been I've been too delinquent in getting this going, but I'm glad to finally have it up and running. And you're not um, you're the first guest on purpose because I credit you more than anyone else for inspiring me to start a podcast. After seeing yeah, all I the great stuff that, you've man. done on Nomadic Outdoorsmen the TikTok account, and now taking on Western Rookie and joining the Sportsman's Empire Network. You just inspired me to, like, finally get off the pot and get started. Well, when you first reached out to me and we started talking, I'm like, this is a guy I'm going to get along with really well. And then we got to go shed hunting together, and you had a bunch of questions about podcasting. And I was like, man, yeah, I, I feel like you were the first person that I kind of helped or coached or gave any information to about how to get a podcast going and now there's been like 30 people that are like what what in or what equipment do i need to buy how do i need to set it up and i'm excited that this is kind of coming to fruition right now yeah that's a very two bucks moment because i think a lot of us have like a million questions when we want to start something new and it seems like it's so impossible to like know what you're doing and and the the amount of unknowns makes it makes you almost not want to start or it probably intimidates a lot of people to not start. But once I got into it, I'm like, Oh, it's not even that hard. You just get, you know, you get a, a recording board and a mic and you, it's all plug and plug and play. It's pretty easy to do. Once you get into it, you realize just how easy it was and just how misplaced your fears were for starting something as simple as a podcast. Yeah. I feel like the intimidation keeps people from doing a lot of things in life there's been multiple times where I just haven't even tried. Cause I'm like, that's too hard. Like it's not going to be attainable. And I started, I think it was after the podcast. Actually, I looked up a couple of YouTube videos and they're like, this is how you can get started with very minimal equipment. And so I picked up that equipment, got it rolling. And I was like, man, if I can start my own podcast, there's probably a lot of things I'm missing out on just because it seems too difficult. And then <laughs> Funny enough, uh, my son likes playing with a Rubik's Cube, and he's actually pretty good at it for a five-year-old. And every now and then, it would get super mixed up, and he couldn't do it. And so I started taking the pieces apart and putting them back together. And I said, screw this. This takes way too long. I'm going to just learn how to do a Rubik's Cube. And in my mind, it's like, you got to be a genius. This is going to be a year of doing Rubik's Cubes before I figure it out. It was three days and I had the thing figured out and now I can do it. I would have never thought because of how intimidating it was that it was possible. Yeah. So before we get a little bit farther into this conversation, can you give us a quick background on your like outdoor history and how you got into the outdoors? I have never met someone that is so diverse in outdoor activities as you. You've done extreme mountain hunts with mountain goat and moose in Colorado helicopter hog hunting you're an avid frog gigger you've done lots of fishing mm-hmm. river trips and camping you've gone to alaska multiple times how did all of that start and it's it's really weird hearing you say this all back to me because i'm like holy crap yeah this has been awesome i've done a lot of cool things um when when i was a kid i mean i grew up in wisconsin which is you're from Minnesota now, or you live in Minnesota. So you understand there's so many fishing opportunities, waterfowl, upland bird, deer, small game. And so I didn't experience most of that growing up. It was fishing and the orange army nine day rifle season for deer. Um, 
it wasn't until I moved down to Missouri and started talking to some guys going out hunting and they're like, Oh yeah, we go bass fishing. And I'm like, do you eat them? And they're like, no. And I was like, why do you fish for bass? And they're like, just come out and do it and you'll see. And they started getting me into a couple different things like frog gigging, like, um, upland bird stuff, coyote hunting, rabbit, squirrel. And I was like, I've been missing out on all of this. Like in my mind for a long time, the hunting season was nine days around Thanksgiving and that's all I ever did. And again, it, it was the unknown or the intimidation of getting into a new outdoor activity that probably kept me from a lot of it. But once I experienced a few new types of hunts, I was like, all right, time to look at every open season and how I can get into it. And from there, we moved out to Colorado for two years, started Western big game hunting, had some cool opportunities there, always wanted to go to Alaska. And so we just planned a trip for one of our anniversaries. And my wife and I went up there and I said, if I'm going to be in Alaska, I'm going to fish and hunt. So went salmon fishing, uh, did a lot of fly fishing, went out on a boat, caught lingcod and rockfish and tried to catch halibut that didn't happen and then my wife and I hiked this mountain in the middle of Kodiak by ourselves to go on an overnight uh, deer hunt and so we got up there the night before season opened had grizzly encounters that were way too close for comfort and she looked at me and she's like I'm doing this because I love you but I am not happy about it and so that's that's just kind of like the story of me going and doing all these hunts. Honestly, we just like to chase after adventure and find new places to go. And I'm fortunate enough to have a wife that loves to see me get out in the outdoors and bring home meat. So That's awesome. Yeah, I grew up in Minnesota, so a lot of the Orange Army and fishing is pretty similar with me. You know, nine-day gun season we grew up on a lake. So fishing meant just like on our lake, we didn't really even go to other lakes except for Canada once a year. And then bow hunting was the first gate that opened up to how much more opportunity there is. And then my first Western hunt as well. You get to see like, man, there's a lot of ground out there besides your little 40 acre piece or, you know, the family farm and the the lake you live on. So that's yeah, awesome. It really is. And I, I love that side of it because people do get stuck. I mean, I lived in New York state for like a summer renovating a house. And one of the ladies there was like, yeah, some of these, some of these kids in the neighborhood, they never leave this block or they never leave this like five block area. They've never seen a prairie or like woods or the ocean or any of this stuff. And I'm like, dude, I feel like that's how I was when it came to the outdoor world. You know, like I never went outside of my bubble And then as soon as I did now there's, I've got my favorite things, but there's nothing that I would give up everything else just to pursue. If that makes sense. Well, you haven't tried archery elk yet. That's true. But knowing you, I don't think it would change. You would just squeeze some things around and make room. You'd just add it to your list of yearly events. Yeah. I, there's times where I've had to miss opening day of frog season and it sounds really goofy, but it's like depressing. I've never I'm heard like, someone talk dude, about opening never, day of frog season. Oh, it is an event here, man. The The last day of June at sunset, it opens up and we go out after frogs like immediately. And it's the same thing with dove. I would have never guessed that I was this excited about dove season. We have more intense traditions around frogs and doves than we do around the opener of duck season, turkey, or deer here in Missouri, at least among my group of friends. Yeah, I think a lot of the seasons, it's, you know, gun season, everyone gets around, and, you know, it's the night before, family, tradition. Bow season, it's like, oh, wait, what? Bow openers this weekend? Okay. And most people don't go because it's so hot and there's so many bugs. But So what were you doing before you started this? So I've always worked manual labor jobs, worked in warehouses, factories, and construction. Um, 
I was working construction with a buddy of mine. It was a pretty awesome gig. Like he's a big hunter. We would go hunting all the time, but I realized that the time with my family and the time that I had to do with, or the time that I had to do what I loved was diminishing. And so I quit that. We started renovating RVs and we did that for like a year, year and a half maybe. And it was the same type of thing. We started working for clients. And it, so even though it was my own business, I felt like I was still answering to somebody else. Okay. And then I talked, I mean, you had mentioned it took you so long to get this going. I talked about podcasting for so long. And finally my wife was like, Hey, you either need to do it or shut up about it. And I'm like, Oh, okay. You just called me out. I guess I'll get some equipment. And that's when I, that's when I started it all. That's awesome. Were you having feeling like when you were working your prior construction jobs, was there like the feeling of like Monday morning? Did you have like this down feeling about going to work and having to like do that instead? Or was it like a growing sense of like uncomfort with that, that finally tipped you over to the edge to, to finally call it quits? So I feel like with every job that I've had, there's always the excitement when it's new, but then at some point you're just like, oh, back to work or something comes up and you're like, man, I really want to go and do this hunt or like my buddy, Sean drew the moose tag and I wanted to go and support him and help him get a moose, but it's two week season, once in a lifetime tag. So I'm like, I need that whole two weeks to help him out. And obviously with jobs, they're like, eh, yeah, I don't know about just giving you two straight weeks off. That doesn't sound great. Um, and so little by little, I feel like I was getting the sense of, hey, my time isn't my time. Even my free time, I have to answer to somebody else for or get approval from them. And I just didn't want that. I never, I never jumped into this to like chase the dollar, but we value success as the amount of time that we have to do what we love. And so that's what we're chasing. Yeah. Gary Vanderchek has a great saying about that says 7 billion people need to redefine what success means. It's not a dollar. It's waking up happy. Yeah. So I think there's a lot of power in that. I think a lot of people feel that same way that you did just inch by inch. You get a little bit more unsatisfied or unfulfilled with maybe going to the nine to five or the, or the career, the day job, but you start getting closer to the edge and you, you don't know what's beyond like, like we talked about there's a lot of unknowns when you're starting something like this and all that doubt and fear can keep you from starting yet. You're still getting pushed closer and closer of doing something. Cause what you're doing now is not working. I, I feel like a lot of people feel that. Yeah. And I think that it's important for people to understand you don't have to wait until you get to your breaking point to make a big change. Like you can start things now and get, a business up and running or a hobby that might turn into a business up and running while you're still doing other things. Like podcasting for me was almost an outlet because I love talking about hunting. And when I'm not hunting or there's like a gap between seasons, this is a cool way for me to scratch that itch, I guess. And so for me, like even starting before we officially uh, ended the RV renovation business, like just kind of getting my feet in the water a little bit and, and testing it out. Um, it was kind of therapeutic for me. And then one day we said, well, if we're actually going to make this work and have it be our like income for our family, we just need to do it full on. So when I was, Little, I always, my dad always asked me what I wanted to do. He's a very realist. He has, he's a business owner himself. And I'd be like, oh, I want to be a professional football player. And he's like, all right, just in case that doesn't work out, do you have a backup plan? And I was like, yeah, I want to be a professional hunter. And then he'd say, well, you're probably better off with the football player strategy. <laughs> um, but did you grow up and always want to be in the outdoor industry? Or did that desire come later, like through your, you know, working your day job and just realizing that wasn't for you? You know, I don't think that anybody ever got the answer from me that like, hey, I want to be a professional hunter growing up. Um, 
I feel like what I wanted to do with my life was never kind of set in stone. I just, I've never wanted to be tied to one thing, if that makes sense. Like, I don't want it. I don't want to be the company guy that's there for 40 years and like they kind of control my life. And that's totally fine for some people, but being in the outdoor space, probably in college, somebody, or I, I started to get the idea, like, dude, if I could do anything, like if anything would really make me happy as a career, it would be going out and hunting all the time. All right. That's yeah. So that college is when the desire kind of, seated and started to grow yeah it would definitely be college um and even now i look at it and my values have changed and like my family when i'm gone for a nine-day hunt i miss them terribly and i think about being gone from them like six months out of the year not you know contiguous but doing that every month being gone for a week or two weeks away from my family. I'm like, even now it's not realistic to just go and hunt full time. And so I have a couple big trips like that a year, but for the most part, it's like day trips or weekend trips, things like that. Yeah. I feel like that's even more satisfying in a way. The big trips that I do, it's a lot of work on the front end, getting ready, getting everything tied up at home. Then you're gone and you come back exhausted, and yet there's a lot of work on the back end to unpack, get back into work, get things back on track. It's, it, you know, especially for a grueling hunt, I'm sure you felt this way in your mountain goat hunt, it's not necessarily relaxing time away. It's, it's almost the opposite, whereas like a day out in the woods is pretty therapeutic, and then it doesn't disrupt your normal life so much that you have to, you know, spend two weeks getting back on track. So I think that more... Uh, more instances and more frequency of, of a smaller outdoor activity is probably a better route to like happiness and fulfillment than just one big hard month a year. And then you got to wait 11 months to do it again. Yeah. Yeah. It's all the little things. I mean, every week I would say I spend two to three nights out of the week getting in the outdoors, doing something lately. It's been shooting a lot and uh, scouting the bean fields to see what bucks are back. Yeah, you were texting me the other day that you had some, you said, all of my best bucks are back this year, which I don't think I've ever said in my life. How did that feel when you're like, holy crap, they're all here? It's it's a great feeling. Um, luckily, I don't have a lot of hunting pressure around where I am, so I don't have to worry as much about other people killing them. Um, but it's, you know, disease, blue tongue, CWD, EHD, um, predator predators getting after them so when i started seeing them pop back up i'm like oh sweet he's back and he's back and him and him and him and i've never actually gone and like scouted a field before season like this just to see what deer are coming out and the whole reason that i did it is because on instagram i've been seeing people going out with their spotters and just looking at the field and they're like, oh, yeah, check out this buck that I saw. And I'm like, well, I've got a spotter. I've got a field. I should probably go and do that. And I went out shooting one night. Didn't even bring my spotting scope, but I just got a drone. And so I was just testing it out. And I was like, I want to see how far I can fly it. Can I make it all the way to the far side of the property? And when I did, there were a bunch of deer in the field. And then in the neighbor's field, all the bucks were out. And so I was like, okay, between watching the Instagram deal and then seeing them with the drone i said screw this i'm coming back out tomorrow night with the spotter and with my phone scope and i'm getting some video and i'm glad i did because there were 10 bucks out there and like i said all my biggest bucks were back yeah that was awesome you sent me some videos and i was i was a little jealous our hit list right now like i told you is consisting of does so nice hoping some stuff shows up i don't live where our farm is so i don't scout as much i try to when i'm back but yeah, I didn't grow up doing much summer scouting. I got turned into it from a friend back in Fargo, and him and his sister and his brother-in-law would go out almost every night this time of year, hitting up all their spots, and they would dial in their bucks to a degree that I didn't even know was possible until like hunting season started. And then every wow. year they hit the ground running, and it's like opening day, they're within 40 yards. They might not get shots, or it might not work out, but they're right right in the, the zone, and so I was like, oh, I need to start doing this if I want to have that level of success. 
So yeah, the the idea behind turning deer hunting into a full year thing, like once you really get into it, there's something to be done every month of the year. And this is one thing that I just missed out on. In Wisconsin, we did a form of this, but we did it at night with spotlights. And that was like a big deal. We would drive around in the summer and shine our headlights or we'd have the ones that plug into the cigarette lighter and we just shine spotlights out and we just called it shining deer. And that was like probably a couple times a week we'd try to get out and just go check fields for deer because, you know, they're all out feeding at night typically. And you get a pretty good idea of where the bucks are. You have no idea their daytime movement through that. But uh, I never even thought about going and glassing fields like this during the day because it was always a nighttime activity for us up there. Yeah, and I think this is a, a one of the lesser known maybe benefits of you know starting your own thing, whatever that is. If you're a content creator or you're selling products or you're offering services, the ability to be more flexible with your schedule. So if it's a good night, maybe a little bit lower wind, high pressure, and you're like, oh man, the deer are probably going to be out in the beans tonight. You have that flexibility to walk away a little earlier and go out there and scout versus if you, man, if you were doing construction for 10 hours and you come home, I'm sure the last thing you're thinking about is let's load up the truck and go out scouting. You're probably just beat and you're ready to call it a night. Oh yeah. The, the physicality of like the construction world is insane. You know, coming home just spent now there's a lot more mental aspect to it. And we definitely have full days anyway, but to be able to go out and do that stuff or when someone says, Hey, do you want to come duck hunt tomorrow morning? I'm like, okay, well, I don't have a podcast. So yes, my schedule is wide open. Um, and I can block off those times. So if somebody calls me and they're like, Hey, in three weeks, you want to go and do X, Y, or Z, I can just make sure I don't have anyone schedule a podcast during that time. So there's definitely that benefit. My friends, I think get annoyed with me because I always ask them to do stuff and they're like, what time do you wake up in the morning? Like it's 12 o'clock at night and you're going on a bike ride. I'm like, yeah, I mean, it just sounds fun. And they're like, do you have to be to work in the morning? Like, what are you doing tomorrow? And I'm like, I'll probably sleep in as late as I want and then get up and go to the gym and go about my day. Yeah, that's a flexibility. That'd be nice. I don't know if I would choose to go bike riding with that flexibility at midnight, but it's it's nice to have that option. Well, I got an e-bike a while ago, and now I just hop on it. So it's not even like getting exercise. It's more like fresh air, and it's just fun. Even in the city, driving around downtown, like the whole city is asleep, and I'm just cruising around on an e-bike. I don't know. That's it's cool. my version of a, a motorcycle because my wife is 100% against me getting a motorcycle. Yeah, no, I can understand that. And, I mean, you see cities all the time. They're going heavier into the E, the whatever it is, E-scooters, E-bikes, um, E-boards, you know, electric longboards. Yeah, yeah. that would be really fun. You mentioned that you started with RV renos you know, getting into an RV and, and really turning it in. I mean, I've seen your guys' projects, so you, you, I feel like it's an understatement to call them RVs when you're done with them. It's it's a house on wheels, really, by the time you guys get done. But that's a that's a big thing. I mean, that's that's a, a substantial investment, right? Because you, you're buying the RVs or are the clients, were the clients buying an RV and then you get hired to do the work? So it kind of changed throughout. It started out as us buying one and just renovating it on our own. And we were going to keep it and live in it. We were like, oh, that, that'd be fun. Be full-time like or camper people. Um, so we renovated it. And I was like, holy cow, this turned out great. Again, I was intimidated by it. Starting out, my wife was gung-ho. And she's like, you can do it. You can do it. And I'm like yeah, I will be the one doing it. This is going to suck. I've never done this before. And then we buy one and I start renovating it. And I'm like, this is basically the same exact thing as construction, except the materials are one by twos instead of two by fours. And you're using Luon instead of sheetrock. And I was like, this is actually really easy. We could flip these in like six to eight weeks tops. And she's like, well, let's do it. Let's get another one. 
And right around that time, someone reached out and they're like, Hey, we saw that you just flipped one. If we give you the one that we have and you renovate it and sell it, all we need out of it is the amount that we still owe. Basically, they wanted to sell it, but they weren't going to get how much they owed for it out of the sale. And so they wanted us to make all of the profit above what they owed. And I was like, well, this is a no brainer. Like the only overhead for me is my time and the materials. And so we did that actually a couple times. And then we started doing more client renovations where someone would bring us theirs. We'd give them a budget or we'd tell them exactly how much it would cost to do what they were asking. And then we did a couple that we actually purchased, flipped and sold. That's insane. Like an insane progression of your story to start like, oh, let's live in a camper. And then that turns into, you know, flipping and having people reach out to you. Did you still, I mean, obviously you had experience with construction, which is a huge leg up when you're doing renos, but did you still have a couple of fears when you were giving up the, the regular paycheck and then the plan was to live in an RV and flip RVs? Did you have a couple of doubts? Like, man, I don't know if this is going to work. What was Talk about how that felt. There's definitely the hesitation, like, how am I going to provide? How am I going to make it work for my family? But when you get in the mindset that you're going to do whatever it takes, even if we did go the camper renovation route and fell flat on our face, I would just get up and hustle at something else until I succeeded. So it's like, even if I had to go back and get, a minimum wage job like I'm going to provide for my family somehow and so it's like why not take the risk instead of just being stuck at this minimum wage job anyways like that can still be my fallback why not try to make a living build a business and have more free time I love that that style and that energy of just I'm going to give it a try I'm going to make it work I think something that adds of more paint to the picture here is your wife is also a full-time mother and full-time entrepreneur as well, right? So you're both yeah. doing full-time business on your own. It's not that, you know, you're trying to do all this, but you're, you know, your wife's a doctor and you got that paycheck to fall back on. Both of you guys are out there hustling. Oh yeah. We've both, we've both worked the jobs where we barely made a living. I mean, We've done that most of our lives where we've just had enough to pay our bills and sometimes not even to where we're having to borrow money from other people. And we found ourselves in that position in Colorado for a while where we were having to borrow money from family here in Missouri or up in Wisconsin just to make our payments each month. And then once we'd get ahead, it's like, oh, well, we owe them because they helped us pay our rent last month. And I'm like, I can't keep doing this. And at that point is actually when we bought the camper, the first camper and started renovating it. And we're like, that's going to cut down on our bills as far as our living expenses go. And we'll either live in it here or we'll move back to Missouri and live in it there. And when we did that, we fell in love with like tiny living and decluttering and just getting rid of the unused junk in our house. So, so going, if you could speak to your earlier self, would you give yourself any advice or tips? Like if you could jump back in time before the reno started, you know, I'm very happy with how my life has gone and where it's come and where I'm at right now. And so it would be hard for me to go back and say anything to myself that might deviate from the course. Like I wouldn't even go back and say, Hey, go into camper renovations earlier because, you know, maybe it was too early at that point at, at the point that we first bought our camper, it was still pre COVID. And so like the RV, the camper, the sprinter van, that whole industry hadn't fully blown up yet because most people were still working in a brick and mortar location instead of working remotely. And we kind of hit it at the right time. And I don't credit ourselves with any of that. Honestly, we're very strong in our faith. And I always say like, God's going to open and close doors at the right time. And we're not going to force anything. But if we feel a peace about it, we're going to go ahead and do it. And 
that's kind of how we live our lives and it seems to have worked out so far. That's awesome. I feel like you may have contributed to the RV camper, um, full-time traveling c- climate when you did what you did and you're also on a show, a conversion show, right? Yep. I mean, you and Sam were invited to compete. What was that like? Yeah. So we, we met up with a couple different people. My wife is always, I don't know when it started. I know it wasn't since before we were married, but at some point she just started getting heavily involved in social media and we did our camper renovation thing. She started connecting with other people who have done the RV life or the school bus life or the van life. And she's like, Hey, let's go on a road trip this fall. And there's like seven different people I want to meet from Alabama, Georgia, Florida, South Carolina. Like we're just going to make this big loop and meet all these strangers from social media. And I was like, okay, why not? So we went and we got along with a lot of them. Well, through that, she started connecting and built like 20 plus relationships with people in the social media space who were doing kind of what we're doing. And through that, people were like, hey, you should apply to be on this show. So we did and we got shot down and we're like, oh, well, not for us. No big deal. It's a closed door. And then we get a call back and it was like, hey, we actually had an opening. We were full when you guys first contacted us, but we've got an opening on the van team. And I'm like, I've never renovated a van. Like that's a vehicle. I'm I'm renovating like a tiny shed on wheels and you want me to like convert a vehicle. And so they're like, you're going to be on a team of seven. So it'll be you two and five others. And it's going to be in Colorado. And we're like, okay, we start doing Zoom calls like every couple weeks. And then it turned into every week to plan for what we're going to do. And we became such good friends with all these people. And honestly, like Linneo, one of the girls that was on our team, is one of our very best friends now. I'm about to go out to Utah and take her on her first ever archery, well, her first ever big game hunt, period but she's got a bow now and she's got a mule deer tag in Utah and we're going to travel around this fall with them for a little while. Um, but yeah, we ended up going out and competing and had a ton of fun. Our team was awesome. And now we're lifelong friends. That's crazy. I, I, I've heard you talk often about all of the relationships you've built along the way. Do you think that that's a, that plays into the happiness and just the fulfillment of doing this style of, of life and career at all, just meeting new people and building all these new relationships. Absolutely. That has been the biggest joy for me when it comes to podcasting, because initially I said, I I set out to be the guy that interviewed the Randy Newbergs and the Steve Vernellas and the Michael Waddell's and the Terry Drury's and, You know, I wanted all the big name people. I was like, that's going to draw a lot of people to my podcast. They're going to listen just to hear them. And I quickly realized like these people are very busy. They're very sought out and not that they don't have the time for me, but to get somebody like that every week or twice a week, which is how often I was recording, it just was unrealistic. And then my wife had the brilliant idea to make a TikTok video about me quitting my job and pursuing podcasting. And through that, I had like 500 emails over the weekend of people that wanted to jump on the podcast with me. One of them was me. Like one of them was you. (laughs) And I'm, I'm sitting here like, man, these are like no name people. Like nobody's going to know them. They're not going to help me sell tickets or sell listens in a way. And I'm like, but I don't have anyone else. Like I'm going to start interviewing these people. And it was very nerve wracking because I'm like, what if they suck at talking? What if they're not good storytellers? What if they're not very good at hunting? And I went through the emails, found the most interesting responses. Some people, there was one guy that I only said yes to because he had a quote from the office in his email. And so like my criteria for accepting someone on the show was non-existent it was just like whatever sounded fun at the time and i started talking to people and fell in love 
with building relationships, connecting with these everyday outdoorsmen and women from all across the country. And so at this point I've had like maybe a half a dozen well-known people on the show and everybody else is just everyday people. And that, that has been the best part connecting with these people. I shoot everyone a text afterwards. Like, Hey dude, here's my number. Let me know if you're in Springfield, I'll get you out Turkey or duck or deer hunting or something, or let's connect when we're on the road. So, yeah, I think you've given a voice to the average outdoorsmen and women. And by doing so has helped your popularity because that's who listens to your podcast is the, the everyday person that's doing this at whatever level they are. Most of them are, it's just their passion. You've had a few people that it's their career, but you've given them a voice and a platform, which I think is huge. I mean, it's definitely probably helped you grow. And that's what I want to do with this podcast is give that same person, that everyday outdoorsman that felt like you and that felt like us, that wasn't quite happy with their job or their career or where things were going. The, the opportunity to learn how to do it, to hear from people that have done it before them so there isn't as much fear and doubt, give them the resources and you know lessons learned and just help them be able to do that for themselves so they can feel that same way that you feel now about life, just super excited and happy how things turned out. Yeah. I feel like there's something about it when you get a bunch of like the underdogs in a sense together and just help each other fulfill one another's dreams. So it's like supporting other small businesses that have started out. Like I reached out to a lot of people that maybe had 300 followers on social media and they're like, Hey, I'm trying to start this outdoor brand. And I'm like, let me know what I can do to help. You know, if you're interested in hopping on the call, absolutely jump on. We'll talk about the product, talk about what you do and why you love being in the outdoors. And so as a community, I think we need a lot of that. It's, it doesn't need to be nearly as much of a competition between one another as we've made it in the past. And so I think doing that and just supporting and helping everyone move forward is the best route. Oh, for sure. I mean, I think there's a lot of people out there that are interested in podcasting. And after hearing your story, I think there's people out there that hopefully will see that it's not very daunting. It's not as hard as it looks to get started. There's You can get started on an iPhone and earbuds if you, if you have to. And it'd be my dream for someone to listen to this conversation, to listen to your story and say, that's it. I've had enough. I'm going to pull the trigger and start a podcast. Dan did it. Brian did it. And then be able to help them. You know, here's how we did it. Here's some things you can do whatever level you're at, here's where you could start and then have them on as a guest and have them share their story. That would be just like the full circle moment that I'd love to help be a part of to help someone else reach their dreams and their passions. Yeah, that's, there's something about it, man. Just like opening people's eyes to the possibilities out there and like, just chase your dreams. I know it's so cliche and everyone's like, chase your dreams. You can do anything, shoot for the moon, but really like, just give it a try. For me, it wasn't instant success with the podcast. It was a grind. There were days that I didn't want to record. There's days that I didn't want to edit. And honestly, in the first six months, I hardly had any episodes that I had put out. And then I took like a six-month break to support my wife in something that she was doing. And so I'm a year in now at this point, and I'm like, man, I've got hardly any listens, but I still enjoy doing it. And I'm going to keep doing it. And then things started to take off. And I started looking at statistics. And I don't remember the exact numbers. But I think it's something like 98% of podcasts don't make it to their 100th episode. Because people get discouraged and they quit doing it. And if I could tell anybody a piece of advice that's going to help them in business is stay consistent. Like know what you're going for and be consistent at whatever you're putting out. If it's social media or YouTube or podcasting, if it's product, if it's just getting your name out there about your business, if you're consistent, like, and you make a decent product, I guess, like you can't be totally crap and have no good content. But like if you're passionate about it and you have something 
to promote, like stay consistent and it's going to take off eventually. Oh, for sure. And I think it's, it's helpful for people to see that you can do it more than one way. So for example, you and I went about this completely differently. You and your wife pulled the trigger and went full in, quit your jobs and started, gave it your full attention, which is awesome. Probably a little daunting for a lot of people, but you did it and you pulled it off. You're here today to, to testify against it. I went about it in a little bit different way. So I'm an engineer and I started Bull Elk Beard Oil on the side in my free time. I kept my day job because I had bills to pay. And, you know, my fiance is a pharmacist. She's in residency right now. So we're, we're not two people that are both full-time entrepreneurs, yet you still can get started. You, you, it might not be so much chasing your dreams, but invest in your dreams. You know, invest a little bit of time and effort. Take a couple chances. Learn a few new skills. You know, I didn't know how to build a website. Now I've built two. I didn't know how to set up professional email boxes. Now I have two. I, you know, I definitely didn't know how to podcast. And thanks to you, now I have you know, a baseline understanding. I could probably put out some subpar episodes, but you know, it's not that hard to get started and, and invest a little bit in your dreams. Yeah. And I like the investing in your dreams instead of necessarily just chasing them right out of the gate. Because although like when a lot of people jumped into our journey as they followed us on social media, like it seemed like it was night and day, but there was a progression to it. Like I had a really crappy mic at first, you know, I bought like the cheapest, but also decently rated microphone on Amazon that just plugged into my phone. And I'm like, all right, man, like we're going to do this. I haven't gone back to listen to the audio, but it probably sucks so bad, but it was like little by little, I would buy better equipment and I would invest more into the podcast. And I just kept on doing that. And now I'm pretty happy with the stuff that I have, but I'm sure at some point I'm going to want to upgrade it. And if if back then at the very beginning you said, well, if you want to make a really, really good podcast, you need like $4,000 worth of studio equipment. I'd be like, well, I guess I'm not starting a podcast because I don't have $4,000. And yeah, if you just chip away little by little, continue to put money back into it and make your product better. And that's with anything, not just podcasting or audio equipment. Um, you're going to build and and people need to understand that. Like, unless you've got an awesome investor that's just going to dump loads of money, no questions asked, odds are you're going to have to start small and grow and get better as you go. Oh, exactly. It's, it's a, it's a journey. It's a marathon. That's why I like saying it's an you know, invest in your dreams instead of chase them. Cause it's, you know, if you chase them, that implies you're always behind too. If you invest yeah. in them, that implies you're growing something, which I like, you know, I was thinking about when I was starting this podcast last week, just, you know, really taking a deep dive on why I'm doing this and, and what do I want to get out of it? The thought kept coming back to me that myself and so many of us, you know, we're very passionate about the outdoors and love to get out as much as we can. But Monday morning rolls around and and we're back at the office. And it made me think so many people, myself included, spend a majority of our life thinking about our passions instead of doing them. And I, if I can help one person flip that around and be doing their passions as a part of their career and spending a majority of their time doing what they love, the, this whole thing would be worth it. I'd rather have a hundred people start their business and, and be successful than have a hundred thousand people just listen and then do nothing. Oh, absolutely. I think inspiring people and just giving them the knowledge or the information that it can be done is invaluable. And like, I loved connecting with you over Bolelic beard oil and starting to talk about that. And you invested in me podcasting and hopefully you got a return from that through advertising and stuff, but it's like making those connections and helping people take off and understand, Hey, stop thinking about it and try it. Oh, for sure. For sure. One thing that I think a lot of people are going to be curious to know, you know, and I think you're a great person to, to testify to this is the work-life balance, because not only are you an outdoorsman that has a bad rap for always being gone you know, oh, my husband's never around. I'm a fall widow. Um, and But you're also an entrepreneur, which has an equally bad rap for not having a lot of free time. Yet I've heard you talk about your work-life balance often 
and it and it doesn't follow that mold. No, we we spend more time together as a family than anyone I know. Like my kids see me hours and hours and hours a day. Like the other day I spent the entire day building a Lego Ninjago robot with my son. It's 1104 pieces and he will tell you that if you talk to him. Uh but we literally spent the whole day building all of these robots that combine into one. And although yes, I'm gone hunting and from the outside, people might see like, Oh, he's always gone. How do you let him hunt so much? Like that's a question my wife actually gets. The reality is we spend more time together than anyone that I know that works a nine to five job. We go out and go on walks or go adventuring or go to the gym or go to the playground uh, my wife and I are together, gosh, 70% of the day. So it's not like I get home at five, I'm exhausted, I need to shower. By the time we eat dinner, we've got two hours to spend together before we go to bed. Like we really do have a lot of time together. And on the social media side of it, like most of it's satire or it's stuff that people can actually relate to because we've been in that position where it's like, wait, you just got home and now you're going hunting. Are you kidding me? Um, we want funny content that people can relate to that we've lived. And so, yes, being an entrepreneur, like we're always doing TikToks and social media and podcasts, but we do spend so much time together in comparison to the everyday person. Right. What people are seeing online is your adventures. You're not posting yeah. live streams of 12 hours at home with the kids for people exactly. to see like, no, this is an average day. That was, you know, a month ago when we were in Alaska. Now we're home. Now I'm spending time with the fam. I would almost say there's an equal argument to be made that someone in my position that has a 40-hour weekday job and PTO days, I work Monday through Friday, then I go hunting, and then I come back home and I work Monday through Friday again. That's taxing on a relationship. It sounds like even more so than what you're doing, um, especially if I do, you know, I've had I've had times where I was gone for nine days on an elk hunt. I was home for three days, and then I turned around and went on a five-day mule deer hunt back-to-back, back, and then those three days I was working in between. So I wasn't really home. I was at the yeah. office, and ironically, those three days were the three days my fiance found out that her current roommate slash landlord was pregnant and engaged and getting married in seven weeks when before I left, it, she wasn't. The day I left was the day she found out. So for nine days, I was without cell service and she was sitting on this and then in the three days I was home we had to decide like where is she gonna live at the time we weren't living together and then I was gone for another five days so talk about putting stress on a relationship that people I mean I think it's a little bit backwards from what most people think of when they think of outdoor entrepreneur having no time for your family it sounds like from your experience it's almost the opposite yeah I mean like I said we chased it we chased the idea of working for ourselves and pursuing like our dreams in order to create more time to do what we love. And yes, that's hunting and fishing and hiking, but it's also spending time with my wife and kids and same thing for her. And so there's, there's a difference. You have to know why you're going into it. If you're going into it just to chase the dollar and you're like, Oh, the more money I have, the more free time I'll have. The problem is you never make all the money, right. you know, there's always more to be made. And so you see these people who it's like, oh, they might have a $250,000 a year job, but if they want to make it to $300,000 a year, they've got to work that extra 20 hours a week. And so you're just in this never ending hamster wheel of chasing the money Right. where for us, we said, Hey, yeah, if there's opportunities to make money, great. But if we end up spending all of our time doing that, we're not doing what we love anyways. Like my love and my passion in life is not making more money. It's going on adventures, building Legos with my kid, going and shooting deer up in Alaska. So exactly. The more money you have, the more you are going to feel like what you feel like now and the more yeah. you're going to get what you have now. So if you are very happy with life and love time with your family, like you are now, if you added a little bit more money to that equation, 
that just magnifies what you're already feeling and what you're already doing versus if you're like kind of unhappy now and you think money's going to fix it, well, you're just going to be more unhappy in the future. For sure. Yeah. Yeah. Like Michael Scott says, mo money, mo problems. <laughs> mo money, mo problems. Speaking of money, do you have any tips for maybe someone out there that is either thinking about doing what you've done and, and giving up the every other Friday paycheck or has already done it for budgeting, especially when um, the entrepreneur lifestyle is definitely irregular, you know, in frequency, right? So you can have high months and low months. And then the outdoor lifestyle is significantly heavier in certain seasons, right? If you're a big time Western game hunter, September through December is going to be pretty hard on your, on your budget compared to like January through February and March. Um, any tips or strategies that you and Sam have found to kind of overcome some of those hurdles? I mean, I would say find a good financial plan. There's so many out there that'll tell you like, Hey, this is how much you need for, you know, your vehicle payment, your house payment, insurance, like all of this stuff, like take a percentage and set it aside. What we do, we try to pay off as much as we can as quickly as we can. And that even, that goes into like hunting season as well. If we have an abundance of money one month and I know at the end of the year, I've got to buy an elk tag for $650. It's like, okay, we've got the money now. I'm not going to wait until I have to buy the tag because I might not have that money. I'm going to do it now, which kind of guarantees that I'll be going on that hunt later on. I don't do that until after my bills are paid though. And so take care of the things that you have to, and then all the fun stuff can come after that. And you're right. It can be very irregular. That's how it was when we were doing camper renovations. Like luckily our finances have kind of evened out where we have a consistent amount coming in each month. But with the campers, it was like, we'd go a couple months without having any money. We'd be like, crap, what card do I need to use? Like, which one's going to get declined? Which one's not as we're renovating campers? And then all of a sudden we have a $40,000 payday. Super awesome. But right. it sucks during that meantime. And so it was just trying to stay ahead of it, trying to stay at least a full month ahead of all of our bills so that at no point were we scrambling to come up with our rent, you know? Yeah, this sounds like a hybrid of the Ramsey show of the baby yeah. steps and then the Jocko Willink podcast of prioritize and execute. Like, yep. come up with a plan, you know, baby steps it, figure out what your finances are and your budget, and then just execute the plan, which is the Jocko side of the equation. Oh, absolutely. We, I mean, we've done the Financial Peace University. I, I absolutely love it. I know there's people that, that have a problem with it, but like, that's why I said just find a good financial plan where you can get your finances in order when you don't have a lot because people think that the money is going to take care of itself when there's more of it. If you're bad with money now, you're going to be bad with money when you have a lot of it. And you're going to be like, oh my gosh, I just made that much money and I have literally nothing to show for it. Well, because you didn't create good financial habits in the beginning. The other thing I would say, whether whether you're a person of faith or not, I swear by the tithing principle and that's giving 10% to the local church. Even if you don't go to the church, give 10% and see how your finances change. I've done that for years now and that's not to like brag or anything, but I'm telling you the number one way to change your financial situation. And it probably sounds backwards for people who don't believe in God or don't attend church. When you do that, we have seen our finances go from basically not having enough to pay rent to making more per month than we ever had in a year. It's, it's crazy. Oh yeah. And just the overall mindset of being a helper and a giver in all areas of life, not just financially, obviously that's very important too, but just with your time, with your advice and experience, just helping others, I think is a, is a key ingredient for happiness on yourself as well. Yeah. I mean, you can call it being selfless. You can call it karma, whatever you want. Like if you're like, Oh, if I put this out into the universe, it, the universe is going to pay me back. I don't care how you say it, but look for ways to bless other people and there's a great chance that it's going to come back 
and be a blessing to you in the end. Oh, yeah. Just be a person that you would want to hang out with. Yeah, for real. So what's next for uh, what's next for Dan and Sam? What's coming? What do you guys got your mind on in the next year or two? So this week we had a camper delivered, and it's a 34-foot motorhome. And we're going to be hitting that like the 19th of this month. All we're all jumping in it. We've got a couple e bikes on the way, hopefully, a side by side. And we're just going to travel for at least six months. So we're heading up to Wisconsin. We'll be in Milwaukee for two events at the end of the month, then heading out to Montana to pick up a dog, then heading south to Utah for a bow hunt. And from there, my wife has it all planned out. I don't know all the details, but we're just going to basically travel all around the West and the Southwest and the Northwest this whole fall. That's incredible. That's going to be a journey that most people would say that's going to be a journey of a lifetime. But if you're like Dan and Sam and you've invested in your dreams, this is sounding more like a journey of the year and then we'll do it again next year. Yeah. We're trying to decide. I'm like, really, if we, if we just did one full year of travel, we could legitimately spend a full week in every single state and just see the most beautiful parts of each state. Oh, for sure. So, You'd have to factor in those other two weeks, though, of getting through Canada up to Alaska and back. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if we'll ever take the camper all the way up there. I mean, I don't know why we wouldn't. I guess we totally could. Oh, we for could go you? go the national parks in Canada, too. Oh, Banff. I've been there. Beautiful. It, I would go back a lot. Abby's sister got engaged in Banff. You know that blue lake that all the pictures are? That's where oh, she, yeah. she got engaged um, right on that rock. It was awesome. The best pictures ever. And and her um, her husband now, obviously my soon-to-be brother-in-law, planned a lot ahead. And his brother was there, and he had a photographer he hired to come out, and they all hid in the forest while they did this hike. So he has like professional grade photography vote or photography from the proposal, and in one of the most scenic landscapes in North America. That is incredible. Oh yeah, for sure. Oh yeah, yeah I'm excited to see some of these places because the only fear that I have is. Have you seen the TikToks or the Instagram reels where it's like Instagram versus reality and it's like this person walking through oh, yeah. like Horseshoe Canyon out in Utah and they're like all by themselves and then it's like reality. There's 500 people all walking in the same spot. That's my biggest fear. I want to find those like off the grid, nobody knows about it places and we did find a couple of them already. One of them was the chalk pyramids in Kansas. Didn't know it was a thing. You drive down like you're going through these cattle pastures and there's cows like crossing in front of you that you're having to stop for. And then in the middle of Kansas, there's just like these arches made of dirt and rock that are all natural, like the finest like white sand on the ground. It's almost like you're walking on salt. And it just shoots up out of nowhere. I've probably driven past it within 10 miles of it 50 times. Never knew it was there. That's crazy. Where are you going in Montana this fall to pick up your puppy? Missoula. So I will, I think at the same time you're doing that, I will be south of the interstate elk hunting on your way out to Missoula if you wanted to stop in for a, a couple nights stay in the camper. Dude, that would be sweet. What what dates are you going to be out there? I believe we're going like the 16th through the 26th of September, something around there. Okay, so we'll be we'll already be south in Utah cuz I've got an event the 20th and 27th in Milwaukee of September. I'll pick up the dog of August. Oh, okay. And then we'll pick up the dog like the last day of August, first day of September and the archery elk or the archery mule deer hunt will have already started. And so we're shooting straight down to Utah after that. Okay. But potentially afterwards, because I think we're heading north, maybe up through Idaho. Well, at some point we're probably going to be coming through Montana again. I think we're going to go hit the redwoods, hit Oregon, Washington, come back through Idaho. I really want to see glacier. 
haven't seen that one yet. Oh, that was pretty cool. We did Glacier on the way back from an elk hunt once. Dude, it's it's amazing the natural parks that we have. And I know we talked earlier about Mark Kenyon's book, That Wild Place. Or Yeah, God. That Wild Country. That Wild Country. That's what I'm thinking. Um, it's a great book, and it really did make me think twice about, like, there are so many cool places that we all have access to that I need to be exploring. So, Yeah, no matter where you stand on that topic of public lands, if you read his book, your your worldview would change. It changed mine, sure. and I it didn't change which side of the topic I'm on, but what it changed was just how hard it was to get to where we are today and how fast it could all go away. I'm curious. You said like what side of the topic you're on. What do you what do you mean? Like, what's the big debate about public lands? Whether or not the federal government should own land. Oh, okay. Yeah, a lot, there's people that believe that the federal government should not own land and that we should transfer it all back to the states. And what that means is they're essentially looking for that public land to eventually turn into private land because yeah, the states could, can't afford it. they could it. sell it off easily. Yeah, the states would have to sell it off to pay the bill. And so you'll get you'll get rich people. You know, I don't think there's anything wrong with rich people, um, but that's who's going to be able to afford it. And then that's theirs. It's not ours anymore, you know. So, you know, if you love elk hunting public land like I do, if somebody else owns it and puts up a no trespassing sign, that's it. That's done. You can't do that anymore. So I, that's where I stand on it. I, I think we should. And I think it's what makes us unique over almost every other country out there is the, the public land that we have available to every American. The rich I'm people surprised. can still use it. The loggers can still log it. They can get access to do that. Some of it's very beneficial and symbiotic for loggers to do some cutting, and then that provides new growth for the elk. It, but it just needs to be kind of a balance, right? We need to balance it all out. And so that's where I like the the way Mark Kenyon story tells the process of how we got to where we are today is awesome. Maybe I'm just hanging out with a lot of like-minded people, but like I'm surprised that's a debate whether or not we should have federally owned public lands. Like it really does kind of blow my mind because – once you start selling off the big public lands, like how do you keep anything public? Right. Like the way that we travel from state to state, unless you're in one of those crazy places where the roads are private and you have to pay tolls, which sucks. Um, imagine like not somebody saying, Hey, I'm just going to shut down this road. I own this now. Or yeah. Hey, instead of this neighborhood park that your kids go and play at, we're just going to sell that off too, because you know, we could make some money to put another subdivision in or whatever. Like there is value in wild places and maybe it's people that just haven't got to experience that value that are fighting against it. But it blows my mind that anybody's in that camp. Yeah. I think if more people experienced it, they would understand why it's there. It's like wolves. I don't want wolves where I elk hunt, but I like knowing that they're out there somewhere. For sure. <laughs> I just had this conversation yesterday, and I I like Steve Ranilla's point. I mean, don't get me wrong. I would have a totally different stance on it if I was a Montana cattle farmer. Right. Where, you know, his cows are getting killed by wolves. But if if wolves completely destroy wildlife and like wipe everything out, then nobody would want to go to Alaska to hunt because there's so many wolves there. How is it possible that you can still go in black-tailed deer or moose hunt or elk hunt or any of it? Yeah, it's they they deserve a place, and they're part of the, the balance, right? So we can't get rid of them, but, you know, we can't have only wolves either, so. For sure. Yeah. Yeah, it, we got to leave the regulation up to our – wildlife agencies i mean like they do depending on where you're at you might have a strong view against them but like here in missouri they do a great job they really take care of those public places the the wetland habitat and restoration and so when they open up season for wolves because it's their recommendation people need to understand that these are professionals that have studied this stuff and at the end of the day, we just need regulated hunting. 
we don't need to ban hunting for everything, which some people might believe. But anyways, this is getting <laughs> way off of business and into politics. Just a couple of rabbit holes. Yeah. When you hunt with me, you'll find there's a lot of rabbit holes yeah. on the landscape. So what's one thing that you'd tell somebody that's looking to do what you've done? They're saying, hey, either I want to, I love the idea of flipping campers and just getting in and turning them into better homes and garden houses on wheels, or I've always wanted a podcast. I just don't know where to start. What, what advice would you give someone in that shoes? I think, <laughs> sorry. I think that one of the best pieces of advice I could give is you can find almost everything on YouTube. Like really, go to YouTube Academy. If you're questioning whether or not you want to do it, you can go and find honest reviews of how difficult it is on YouTube, whether it's camper renovations or restoring a an old car or putting in a raised garden bed or starting a podcast. Like literally, whatever you want to do, you can probably find it on YouTube and get an idea of, is this something that I can actually do see the journey that other people have gone on in a quick 15 minute video. And you might realize some of the roadblocks you're going to encounter that you weren't expecting before. And I think you can really set yourself up for success if you go and do your research. Yeah, there you have it, folks. Go on YouTube, search what you want to do, pull the trigger. I like it. There you go. Well, thanks for being on, Dan. I think your story is very inspiring. I think a lot of people are going to feel the same way. What you've done and accomplished in the last few years as you've been investing in your dreams, you and Sam, I, not, I don't want to leave her out. I know she probably does more work than you. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah, you guys have done a lot, and it's. I think it's something people need to see if they're interested in this at any aspect or at any level to see what what's possible. Man, I appreciate you have me on the on the podcast and it's crazy to see that you're at this point i mean like you're recording podcasts now yeah that's really exciting and i think it's going to take off i think you've got a great concept here and a lot of people are going to be encouraged and inspired to get out there and figure out how to make their way in the outdoor industry yeah guest number one you'll always be number one. Oh, thank you thank you brian anytime thanks dan thanks everybody for listening have a great day